Hi, Meg. How are we doing? Oh, phew. well, um, bit of an insight into the radio magic here. We have just got off of the Zoom with uh, Nihal Arthanayaka from Radio 5 Live, which is a big deal because he was a simi. He was. Which Another is simi. A recently discovered amazing little factoid there. Um, and I'm quite exhausted. Meg, you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I actually really liked this um podcast interview i was so nervous i always get really nervous to be honest with you whether it's interviewing tom grennan or interviewing my colleagues about personal statements <laughs> it's just something about having a conversation that's recorded that i have really struggled with but after today and after speaking to Nahal about how to have a conversation how to listen all of that stuff i feel so much more relaxed i think this is the most relaxed introduction i've ever given listen to me i'm just i just feel so zen and i'm really excited for everyone to hear this conversation which i mean we explore so many different avenues and i wish the best of luck to producer sam for editing this podcast how about you nancy how did you find it you you were the one that um made this happen to be fair um, yeah, just because we found out that, well, Tom Grennan's a simi, and then he chatted to Nihal on his radio show. We found out Nihal was a simi as well, which um, was, was a little known fact, which is incredible. And he was very complimentary about, you know, looking back at his time at St Mary's, so he's got some insight there and some, some stories. Um, but yeah, I think we have got a lot to chew over now. We've got to think about all of the advice he was trying to articulate and get us to think about because we were asking him lots of questions about how to have good conversations because that's the topic of his new book let me let me introduce our amazing guest hi Nihal hello how are you (laughs) we're great um but you know obviously we're a little bit uh a little bit nervous because um we're here with someone who broadcasts like most of the week most of the year on uh, BBC Radio 5 Live. I might have got the branding right there, I hope so. That's you totally did, yes. Yay! Um, and, you know, it's been it's been non-stop for you this week, so we're so grateful that you're here to just talk a little bit about your time at St Mary's and about um, the skills you've learned in having the art of a good conversation, um, because we know you're very close to publishing a book, really, really close, in fact, aren't you? Yes, in fact, I have to... Uh, hand in the first draft today of my book, which is called Let's Talk, and it is published on the 18th of August. So it's only five months away. And um, my publisher is getting, my editor is getting really, really nervous because I kept pushing it back. It was supposed to be the end of January. Then it got to mid-February and now we're into kind of mid-March. So uh, yeah, it's 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 the first book I've written, actually. So it's a, it's a, it's, Without question, the most difficult creative thing I've ever done, without question. But it sounds completely right, because on your radio show, um, it's like mid-morning, mid-afternoon kind of time? On, yeah, on... 1 till 4 p.m. mid-afternoon, yeah. Fabulous. So if you're a, if you're a uni student, that is morning, that's fine. Um, yeah. And yeah. you have so many conversations on a kind of like cultural point of view. You, you have this podcast, Headliners, where it's like, let's talk about culture and what's going on, and lots of interviews there, you know. Dolly Parton was on this week, which was yeah. incredible. And, yeah, Brian, yeah, and Brian Adams. Brian Adams and Dolly Parton this week. So it's a kind of average week. And then all of the news, obviously, being a yeah. huge, a huge thing to grapple with on a station like Five Live or just as a human yeah. being generally. Um, mm. 
But during all of that time, it has been a really interesting conversation, I think, that you've been having with whoever's on your show, whether they're famous or not. Um, so we would love to talk to you about that book. But um, because we are from St. Mary's, we must ask you the first question, <laughs> which is, you're a simmy. That's fantastic. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I was, uh, I was there in the early 90s in that beautiful place in that beautiful part of London, Strawberry Hill, um, not far from the Thames. And it was quite an it was quite an extraordinary experience, you know, leaving my home in Essex where I grew up, living on campus for the first year, and then finding, you know, student digs around Twickenham. Yeah. And there was a rugby World Cup when I was there, and the Australian rugby team came and trained at St. Mary's, I remember, uh, when we were there. And yeah, it was uh yeah, it was quite a crazy experience being did you there. did yeah. you feel that it was crazy at the time though or were you just like yeah this is uni life you know you've always just got a, a gigantic rugby team you know hanging out <laughs> yeah that I mean that was definitely unusual but it was just meeting people from as most uni experiences are it's the first time it wasn't the first time I met people from all different parts of the world because even though I grew up in Essex from the age of about 15 16 I was going into London all the time, like every weekend. I was getting on the train and going with mates and hanging out in central London. So I was kind of used to a diverse and eclectic group of individuals around me. But I'd never met people that were really from outside of the South East. And the thing about St Mary's was it's kind of links to the Catholic religion was that suddenly I'd never met so many Irish people before. That was one yeah. thing that um, I hadn't met before and then meeting Welsh people and, yeah, it was quite an, an interesting. And then, of course, the different tribes that existed back then. So there were the drama students, the humanities oh. people, and then the sports science people who were forever in tracksuits. So there was all these kind of different tribes wandering around. And, of course, I don't know 30 years later if that's still the case, but it was certainly the case in the early 90s. So yeah. it was... a. Uh, it was a it was and then it was you know having that giant church on campus and then walpole's building this kind of magical gothic in fact one of the finest examples if not the finest example of gothic architecture in the uk having that on your campus it was quite strange really yeah i mean you know, we, we use it for outreach activities with young people and with that well, all of those aspects you've just described there. We try and make sure that they come through in what young people get to see when they visit the campus. Um, yeah. But yeah. Just adding to that, though, I actually studied history at St Mary's as well. Um, and I studied it um, from 2014 to 2017. But from yeah. the sounds of it, it hasn't changed at all. And you still have the same tribes, like the sports science students walk around in their flip flops all year like they still dress like that it's still the same um so that's really interesting do you remember what sort of history you studied in the 90s to see again if it's changed yeah so we started off with kind of I remember doing Tudor history I mean my dissertation was on James the sixth of Scotland uh, the childhood specifically the sixth of Scotland and how that childhood affected how he 
was when he was eventually firstly king of Scotland. And then, of course, he came and became James I of England and the gunpowder plot and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it was interesting. Um, yeah, the, the history part of it and the English literature part of it and then choosing to major in history because I found that far more of interest and kind of not knowing. I mean, also when I was there at St. Mary's, I ended up being in a band. We got assigned to yeah. uh, Steve Lamack from Six Music, his record label. So you're kind of being a student and then you're also kind of touring and doing gigs and being played on Radio One. And so it was quite a weird experience of, uh, of being there. And then we put on a rave, we put on a rave on campus called Symposium. Oh my God. S-I-double-M. So we I love it. Yeah, we punned it and we and we we hired DJs and it's a mad like yeah, some rave we did. That was one of the things that we organized and we all made a little bit of money out of it and yeah, we did some some interesting things. What's really interesting about the student experience, Meg, that I found was who you choose to live with in the second and third years. For sure. Because you don't you don't re- you have a year to work out who that person is no 100% I think for my second year I lived by myself I think I went through first year I was like I'm gonna get a fl- I'll stay in the flat I was living in um by myself I couldn't get into halls for whatever reason at the time and then it wasn't until my third year that I actually found people who were younger than me they were the year below me studying history and I was like they're the people I want to live with so it really took me a long time to decide <laughs> who was actually the right person to be with you're so right that's so true did you live in Twickenham or Teddington when you're at uni in your no, we were in Twickenham we were in Twickenham but you you know choosing who you live with I ended up living with quite an eccentric dude like eccentric and, and, and yeah that was quite weird that was quite <laughs> he, he had been to a boarding school oh and I'd never come I'd never come across posh people like that before people <laughs> who've been to boarding schools like you know I went to a comprehensive school in Essex so that was quite interesting how he was a drama student. And um, yeah, he had some very, very odd kind of personal habits that probably worth not going into detail about, but yeah, sure. it was quite strange, <laughs> uh, quite strange and kind of thought to me, wow, wow, that's weird. So um, were, you, but, were you the good housemate in this scenario? No, not really. I mean, <laughs> I, I, yeah, no, I had, to, this is quite disgusting, but I, I I never I never rinsed out the, this is so bad. So like I never rinsed out the bath afterwards. Like I'm so bad, right? And in the end, one of the guys I shared with was like, that's disgusting. You have to do that. Because I've just been at home and, and this is so bad. I'm admitting this, but like my mum would clean up. We'd like we we would just be like just rubbish. I was a rubbish guy. And I had to work out very quickly that. You know, that's that's you're in a communal living space now. Yeah. So you have to you have to kind of understand that. And then the same things like toilet roll was always a thing. And those things, I don't think that ever really change. Um, and luckily, I didn't drink tea. So milk wasn't a thing for me. Oh. But my flatmate would drink ridiculous amounts of milk. Like he'd have one of those yeah. big massive what four pints or two liters or whatever it is and just carry it around and just drink straight out of it 
yeah this guy mm. sounds really eccentric like when yeah. like when he's eccentric i didn't realize that eccentric <laughs> oh it gets weirder and worse than that but i'm I'm just not going to go into detail but it, it, it was yeah he was quite <laughs> <laughs> drama people were really serious the yeah. drama people were really like a bit woe is me all the time they were just method <laughs> doing pieces all the time about <laughs> drama it's like it was like being with the kind of in a year of of daniel day lewis's everywhere you looked it's like, yeah. well um as our head of drama isn't here to defend himself um i think they, they use a variety of of methods and uh, approaches these days they all seem yeah. to have fun but um they are very serious about their upcoming plays so yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right yeah it's it is what it is um yeah. <laughs> and tom grennan isn't here to defend himself either yeah didn't he do drama yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, I'm gonna wait next time I interview him because he's he's on the show quite a bit. Whenever he's got a record out, he comes on my show. I'm gonna definitely drill him. Well, you know, it makes quite a change though. Moving like you you were on the other side of London when you were growing up, and then coming like round the M25 for uni. Was that a deliberate choice to try and be a bit more independent? And you were like, yeah. I I can clean a bath it's fine and then eventually realized yeah you <laughs> I, do you know I think that I didn't want to go too far away and I wanted to study history and you know St Mary's reputation has grown and grown and grown and it's where it is now but back then I'll be real with you 30 years ago it was kind of a clearing university unless you were doing unless you were doing sports science where it was kind of you know St Mary's had a really good reputation for sports science like a superb reputation for it unless you were doing that back then especially if you were doing humanities back then 30 years ago it was a place you went to if your A-level results weren't quite what you wanted it to be right so I got <laughs> and you know this is what yeah like I said 30 years ago I got a C, D and an E right and it would allow, and they allowed me to go in because I wasn't particularly academic, and I found that St Mary's really helped me to understand that because I just messed up, like I messed up my O levels and as it was then, and <laughs> my A levels. I just didn't care. I, you know, I hardly attended lectures, and that you know ended up being what I got at A levels. But St Mary's fantastically gave me a shot and allowed me to actually like education to like knowledge whereas most of my school life it just felt like a chore it felt like a chore largely taught to me by people who didn't really make it interesting largely there were a few exceptions to that but when i got to st mary's to be around other people that wanted to learn and to have great conversations and to be opened up to learning was superb. You know, St. Mary's was, was a great place for that for me. So I'm really glad that they took a chance where other places wouldn't have done. They would have just gone, no, they would have looked flatly at those grades and said, no, there's nothing to this guy. You know, yeah. and thankfully since, since then I've proven by, you know, being a, a multi-award winning broadcaster, but also doing podcasts for Penguin Books, for instance. So the Penguin podcast is 
you know, they're not going to, Penguin are not going to put you in front of Sebastian Falks and these extraordinary Booker Prize winning authors for an hour nope. if they don't think that you can deal with that and ask questions of incredibly bright people. And it was St. Mary's that, and it took a chance really. So I'm forever grateful for that. Well, the main thing, aside from that being, you know, a really touching story and just, you know, we really want, I think as people who talk to young people all the time, me and Meg, we want people to have a really positive experience in school and at university. You know, it's, it's completely fantastic to hear, but the big thing I heard was as well, you were just interested and it was a place where you learned kind of, um, oh, this is where my interests could lead and this is where my skills could lead and that kind of thing. And that really comes across on the radio as well, you know, that the most important thing in having an interview or a conversation with someone is you are interested and you want to know why they think what they think and, you know, what it is they've got to tell you. And you've spoken to some some wild, like, varieties of people. Um, and I know that in the book you speak with um, President Mary McAleese, former Irish president, you know, which is a, a massive deal. Um, and I think she's got a St Mary's link as well. She was she was Professor of Irish Studies here for a bit, I think. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, wow. Sam's got all the knowledge. He, he fills us in. Um, yeah. And one thing that you said that was really interesting in the kind of um, the pre-publishing, you know, press release stuff was, you know, it's a, it's a hard world to have a good conversation in these days. And I, I really, I really get that. You know, I feel it very strongly. Um, and you said something like, um, it's all polarised. Our inability to have good conversations was worrying me. Um, and yeah, I feel like a lot of your interviews on the radio are real conversations where you are exchanging information. You might not always agree with each other, but you are doing it. So like my question, here we go. What have you, what are the biggest things that you've learned by hosting your show and writing in the process of writing your book as well about having good conversations? So social media encourages you to be a narcissist right so likes and shares and follows and also the culture that we live in thinks of us as individuals right and uh, a historian once said that if you think of yourself as a consumer not a citizen consumers have rights and no responsibilities citizens have responsibilities to each other so where i'm going with this is to say that if you are someone who believes in the cult of the individual then you will project you will broadcast all the time but you won't receive and receiving if you want to use another word is listening mm. and you cannot have a good conversation unless you listen. That's the art of a good conversation. And people in my business, the interviewing business, if they're talking more than the person they're interviewing, they have failed. Singularly, they have failed to do it. And one of the people I interviewed for the book is a guy called John Sutherland, who's a former Met Police commander, but also, and this is the important part, a crisis negotiator. So in hostage situations, he was the guy in charge. And one thing he told me was about the Chinese symbol Ting, which is the Chinese symbol for listening. 
And this pictogram is fascinating because it shows you that listening isn't just about your ears. It's also about your brain. It's also about your heart. So when you are actively involved in a conversation, you have to be wholly in it. You can't be checking your phone every 15 seconds. In fact, there's research that shows that if you put your phone in the vicinity of where you're having a conversation, not even that you can see it, but you know it's there, the standard of your conversation, the depth of your conversation, the meaningfulness of your conversation will be degraded by that. You'll be degraded by it. I think 89% of Americans, this was some research that was quoted by a brilliant professor at MIT called Sherry Turkle. 89% of Americans bring their phone out when they have lunch or dinner or something with someone, right? And 82% of those believed that they would have less of a meaningful conversation because of that. And yet they still do it. Because what you're essentially saying when you put your phone down in front of someone is that what you're about to say is only of equal importance to what this phone is going to do. So I'm willing to be interrupted by this phone when you're talking. And the standard of my interviews, which by the way, just I interviewed Brian Adams yesterday. After we interviewed him, it was like 50 minutes. It's a big long interview, right? live on radio he said to my producer off air who is that guy that was amazing right that's what he said and he said it off air about three or four months ago sir rod stewart said it on air he said this is an amazing conversation he said you've really done your research you've asked such great questions it was just gorgeous i think is the word that he used ricky gervais tweeted like a year or so ago that I'm on my way to becoming a national treasure. All of this stuff sounds incredibly immodest, but the only reason that they're saying this stuff is, is because I'm in a conversation with you, Nancy, or you, Meg, I'm listening to you. I'm interested in you. So if you're curious, you're empathetic, and you're willing to listen, you'll have great conversations. I'm always interested in Nancy and Meg, right? Like, What's got Nancy to this point? What's got Meg to this point? Why did she study history? Why has Nancy gone into this? This is essentially where I'm at in life. So if you don't have that, then it's problematic, you know. Yeah. Where can you go from there? What kind of interesting conversation could you hope to have? So nothing if you're just telling everyone about yourself. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm going to reduce my Twitter usage. You've you've made me you've made me feel quite bad about it in a good way <laughs> no, no 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 see see okay so it's not about your it's your twitter usage if you are just projecting all the time yeah. just transmitting just broadcasting but if you use twitter to try and find out about other people so for instance i'll i'll take a guess that you're probably quite socially liberal right so follow fox news right follow someone who's a bit different to you to try and understand what their world is to have a different worldview i have tried this and your podcast has been really helpful for that right like you interviewed jeff norcott who i think is really fun actually um i am very socially liberal yes but um he's like got a really interesting way of talking about the world politics you know what it means to kind of be you know a comedian a family guy 
you know, these days. And I don't agree with everything he says, but his own podcast I've started listening to and gone, oh, and he gets everyone on his podcast and he has amazing conversations with them. Um, and I go, oh, Jeff, you got me. <laughs> so I think it's been good. It's been good. And he's a, he's a conservative. But yeah, yeah. I interviewed, um, just a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed um, Adam Mackay, the film director, and he directed The Big Short, Anchorman, and just did Don't Look Up with Leonardo DiCaprio. So he directed that. And I, I've always kind of had like, a terrible attitude towards anti-vaxxers, right? Like, I just thought, you people are idiots. What is wrong with you? And he pointed out to me something quite interesting. This is specifically from an American perspective. Mm -hmm. But he said, there's a correlation between people who are anti-vaxxers in America and those who were told by their GPs that taking opioids was good for them. Oh, right. Oh. Right. So why would they trust the medical establishment? Like, why would you? If you went to your doctor and your doctor gave you something for a toothache or a backache that you ended up becoming addicted to and destroyed your life, mm. or certainly took you years to wean yourself off and in that process brought a great deal of misery into your existence, yeah. Why would you trust a health system that tells you take this vaccine? Of course you wouldn't. It's right? really complicated, isn't it? Because there's all that marketization of healthcare and everything. There's layers and layers. Of course. And you have to engage brain and ask questions, don't you? But you also have to say you have to engage your brain and ask questions. You're right. But you also have to try and say, okay, that's not all of who they are. What I feel like we must do is bring Meg in here because we have talked about really good advice. You've given really good advice already, Nihal, on, um, you know, listening being the cornerstone to having an actual conversation with someone, whether it's successful or not. You've got to listen. Um, and I think, Meg, you've got a question about advice that we might give young people who are considering university or in the process of applying for it, right? Yeah, I had a question along that vein of, you know, how would you advise a student who's going into an awkward conversation, whether it's an interview that they feel intimidated by, or just presenting to a class, or even in a day to day setting, so touching on as you did Brexit, you know, how do you have those conversations, how do you stop them from becoming an argument, I know that I've had way too many arguments about Brexit about these things with my parents, and it's just gone out of hand. I know that you have covered some of those answers already, you know, listening being a thing and also just having that conversation is so important. But I guess, is there anything, because I know that we are running out of time and I'm very conscious of that. So is there anything you would tell our kind of predominant audience, like young people thinking about uni, going to uni, currently at uni, how would you advise them generally about having those difficult conversations in any setting? Um, one of the people I interview for the book is a guy called Rick Haythornthwaite, who most people won't have heard of, but in business, he's a big name. He's the chairman of Ocado. He's the chairman of the AA. He was the former global chairman of MasterCard. He's a serious guy. And he said to me when I asked him about difficult conversations in companies, right? So when the, when the excrement hits the fan, then what do you do? And he said, the first thing you do is take emotion out of it. So when you're having a conversation with your parents, Meg, you're getting agitated by what you feel is their outmoded and old fashioned views. 
take emotion out of it. It's about facts, right? If Dia Khan can go and spend time with neo-Nazis who despise her, yeah. who would like her put on a ship or a boat or whatever and shipped out of America, if she can spend time to try to understand who they are, how they became that, you can definitely understand why your parents think the way they are, right? Because she's gone that far to try and understand people. If Mary McAleese can sit around a table with loyalist paramilitaries who were trying to kill her family and her, mm. who did try to kill her family, her father, then you can certainly have a respectful and kind conversation. And that's what I would say to people is your activism and your beliefs should not close you off to the thoughts of others. Now, of course, there are red lines in this, right? There are red lines in this. I was saying earlier, I don't think I was taught how to have a discussion or a debate properly at school. I think they tried. I think I tried, but, you know, it didn't work out. Do you see your kids as having, like, really different communication styles to yours when you were their age because of how the world's changed since you were a teenager? Well, you know, my kids have grown up in an environment where, you know, we encouraged them once at dinner to have a conversation amongst themselves where one of them had to be pro-Trump, right? And they're 14 and 12. They were probably, yeah, 13 and 11 when they had that conversation. And my son specifically... When he would say something like, Trump is a racist, I would say, well, how do you know that? How do you know that he's a racist? Tell me why. And it, it might splutter a bit. And, and I said, well, then you can't throw those things out there without knowing, without trying to understand, without providing me with some evidence. For this. A, B, C, yeah. Well, there just it have is. Your, you know, have your, we should all have our orthodoxies challenged. All of us, we should. Now I'm 50, so I've got that kind of age where I can say that. But he is 14 and I wish my parents had debated with me more. Actually, to be fair, I mean, but no, my parents are from a generation where they just kind of shut it down. You know, I was very politically kind of idealistic as you are when you're like 18 or 17 or 18. And I remember having an argument with my dad because my dad was working in defense and he was making, you know, or being involved in guidance systems that were used in weapons. That's a big conversation. <laughs> yeah, and I was, I was being all like, you, you know, you're doing this and this is, this is killing people in parts of the world. And he just went, and that's what pays for this. And we didn't grow up in a rich household. I mean, it makes us sound like we're millionaires, but we weren't. I went to a bog standard comprehensive school in Essex, but I was kind of idealistic about that. And he just shut it down. Mm. And uh, I love my dad because he was intellectually curious and he was a very incredibly bright man who did, you know, degrees in mathematics and physics. But there was a generation that kind of shut things down. Whereas I'm encouraging my kids to think differently and to challenge themselves and challenge their thought processes and say, ah, 
You believe this, do you? And unfortunately, they are a generation that are growing up with mobile phones and the narcissism that comes with being on Instagram. Thankfully, he's an, he's got an Instagram, but he doesn't really post that much. Really, he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't post. And my daughter's got TikTok, which is actually on my phone, so it's very heavily controlled, and she loves looking at that. But when she's looking at TikTok, she's looking at people who are making things, yeah. which is which is great, uh, and also a lot of dance stuff and that. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, my my kids benefit from the fact that they've got two parents who have conversations, you know. I'm thinking about how Twitter is bad, but Twitter is also good because, yes. yeah, it has given me a lot more insight over just the years I've been using it of what other people's experience is. And, you know, the very basic, this isn't life or death, but, you know, the very basic thing of someone who's a researcher, they work in science, they work in higher education. Um, if they have a gender change paperwork thing happen, you know, uh, all of the scientific journals that they had their work published in then won't change it. So their dead name or, you know, their pri prior identity um, when they were really struggling and unhappy is then attached to most of their work and they can't change it. And they lose out on funding, they lose out on, you know, money. Like that's one example that really hit me and I thought, I have never been in that situation. Oh, I should probably find out more. Um, so I think it's it's as long as there's curiosity about all of the aspects of it, and as long as someone's willing to have that conversation, it's a good thing. But yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. And I'm a bite back guy at Twitter. So when someone comes for me on Twitter, I am the I go back to being in an Essex comprehensive school playground where someone calls me the p word and I punch them in the face. Right, like I go back to that version of me. And I've had to learn since writing this book to not be that person anymore. You know, so I've had to learn to be much less of a kind of, and I'm still learning that, you know, to not be, what? How dare you attack me? You know, how dare you attack me? You know, it's like people, people why, why tweet me that you don't like my voice or you think I'm a terrible interviewer? Like, don't tweet me that. Like, have that opinion. That's fine. I joined Five Live in September 2016, three months after the referendum, two months before Trump was elected president. Yeah. And I'm an Asian, you know, definitely liberally minded without question, right? Because why would you be illiberal, right? There's no fun in that. Um, you're kind of angry all the time. Um, liberally minded. So there was a whole section of the population that could not stand me. And, you know, I got that all the time. You're out of your depth. You're just this X Radio 1 DJ. What do you know about anything? All of that stuff. I got it all the time. You know, so I, I definitely, and I remember the, the grief that Ellis and John got as well, because they're such interesting, different, slightly eccentric, which is great. You could funny say that, people, yeah. <laughs> Funny people. And there's a whole kind of serious, angry group of people who would hate that? You know, just like me, I've got a strong personality. I'm, I'm not, you know, if you just want to fit in. But you listen. I've never, I've never heard someone listen as much while broadcasting. You know, so I think that's probably the, the. Well, yeah, Meg's question. I think we've got our answer. What do we do if we're young people trying to work out what to do in the world? Start listening. <laughs> There's an urge to talk a lot because you feel like that is what 
is important that people understand your opinions on stuff, but you'll go a lot further listening more than talking. You'll go a lot further because you'll just pick up lots of really interesting tidbits of information. And any company, when you turn up at a university for a university, if it's a university that wants to bend you to becoming the right kind of person for our university, then it's not the place for you. You want to go to a university that says, we want you to bring you to us, to help us be different, to help us think in a different way as well. We'll teach you, we'll give you tools, we'll help open up a world to you, but we want you to bring you, right? And any university that kind of you're changing in your interview, who you are to try and fit into them is not a place for you. Same as a job. And, and they may say no to you and you may be disappointed, but actually they would have done you a favor because eventually you've got to be you. That is the perfect way to end this podcast. Nihal, thank you so much. Brilliant. Sam, Meg, Nancy, enjoy your weekends. Thank you. Go Sims. Go Sims. Thank you for listening to us today. Make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do leave a review as it helps people find us. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok or Instagram at Your St Mary's. We love answering questions, so if any, please do get in touch at unicastpodcast at stmaries.ac.uk. Mm-hmm.